0: Hi. Literally on the edge of my seat. Yeah? Because you have asked for an emergency meeting- Yes, here I have. Before we record today's episode. Yes, to I have. share some, is it breaking news? It is. That's, I mean, that's really all you can call it is breaking news. Give it to
1: me. Um, I'm just going to come out and say it. Okay. Jackson and Brittany uh, have moved around the corner from me. <gasps> Jackson, Brittany from Vanderpump Rules, uh, as you may know, uh, have just bought a house. Right. They are engaged. They are starting a, a brand new life together. They have bought a house. And uh, this was revealed on the reunion, which I did not see. But uh, afterwards, uh, a few of my friends got back to me and said, um, I think Jackson, Brittany, are moving in around the corner from you. And I was like, I don't, I wonder. And then I kind of looked it up and I saw the house online and then I looked three houses down for my own. And they're moving it around the corner
0: for me. Holy shh. I've seen a picture also, of it. It's beautiful. It
1: is. Well, it's one of these new houses. Ha- okay, so I live in a neighborhood that's all ranch houses, all yep. old Melanthin, uh ranch houses, right? Beautiful. With lovely big front yards mm-hmm. and, and whatever. The new trend is to buy those houses, tear them down, mm-hmm. and then build these giant monstrosities that go to the very end of, of the lot yeah. and use the whole thing. And it's like, and they're giant and they have, you know, like big, you know, windows with like Avita balconies that will never be used. And you can just, you can see the crane swoop. Yeah. 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 You know, you can see the big establishing shot from the reality show, like from up to down and like a little, Uh you know, the little sound effect, like whew, now we're now we're at Jackson Britney's house. So we're it's one of those. And there are two that just went up right next to each other. The they're it's two different couples moving in at the same time. I don't know who the other couple is.
0: It could be Tom and Ariana or Tom and Katie.
1: Is that that because I talked to Andy about it and I was like, I think Jackson Britney are moving into my neighborhood. The subtext being, can you stop this from happening? (laughs) And and he said, oh, well, then you're in the middle of the Vanderpump, Vanderpump Valley, my friend, because Tom and Ariana and Tom and Katie are are moving in.
0: Because, uh, yeah, they showed pictures Hawaii. of all their houses. And these are like, I mean, I, I can't believe I have this figure at the ready, but I think they're, it's a $1.8 million house. Yeah, I, would, Jackson I would buy that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Congratulations. I don't
1: know what to do
0: about it. Well, I mean, you might just have to do a stroll by when they're filming and just see if you can, you know, penetrate that universe. I mean, I, I, I don't want to. I know you don't, but we want you to. Okay. We need it. That's not enough. That's a sacrifice that you might have to make. Uh, no. For your, I, for your um,
1: uh, I mean, I do. I want to meet them, certainly. I would yeah. like to, you know, I, I, yeah, I would, I would like to meet them certainly they're going to have them. a party. Pardon me? You can befriend them. You can go to their party. They can come to your place. Yeah. They're fully next to a meth lab. Oh, like wow. the corner house uh, next to them is, is one that like the police are called on a monthly basis. The, the lady of the house, it's, it's a, it's a frazzled mom and two adult sons who are nothing but trouble. She's knocked on my door after calling the police on them. She literally has a pair of my shoes that I gave her cause she showed up shoeless.
0: Wait, she came your neighbor came over shoeless. Yeah. And you gave her shoeless appearance.
1: and drunk and like I just called the cops on my son and I just, you know, can you can you come and just be with me when they arrive and I was like okay. okay. I too was stoned. And, this was not a great scene, oh, wow. um, so I gave her a pair of slippers, and we walked over. and The police came, and I kind of handed her off and whatever. And she's like, "I'll bring these back tomorrow." Doesn't recognize me. Oh, uh, so that is Jackson Brittany's next door neighbor. They have <laughs> multiple uh, parties that make the neighborhood um, uh, very crowded
0: and uh, and rich. Not li- well, literally rich, but also you know just r- uh, rich in terms of textures and sure. personalities. Sure, sure, sure. sure.
1: Yeah. So that's what's going on. Uh, I guess it's a good thing that play-by-play did not get picked up because I had so many Jacks jokes at the ready. <laughs> now he's my neighbor. I and never, I never had the opportunity to say on Bravo that he's like the muse next guy, but for uh, chlamydia.
0: <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> and
1: now, so you know, that would have made it
0: awkward for us as neighbors. But we should couple that though with the fact I think we've established that he is the Vanderpump that you would most likely. Oh, absolutely. It, yeah. Yeah. No question. Yeah. Yeah. Way. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. Absolutely not. No. They <laughs> no. sometimes actually yeah. serve each other. Yeah. In, in a way, hand in hand.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So uh, that's what's going on, guys.
0: What else? The other thing that's going on is that we we're kind of in a run of uh, incredible guests. I mean, they're always incredible, but, but like, but just now it's people that we've grown up with, landmark events. It's, yeah. This is uh, this is big. Let's We're, get it. let's get it started. Let's get here. right into John Cameron Mitchell. We are gonna talk uh to him at length about you know life and love and all of it mm-hmm. and um, art. and also his new podcast, which is uh defies description, but mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard it, but it's I have yeah it's called uh anthem homunculus, and it's an anthology scripted musical series. Like I said, is device description that he created and stars in, and it's got Glenn Close and Cynthia Arrivo and uh, like a mind-blowing cast. Yeah. Um, it's on Luminary, and uh, he is also a luminary. That's absolutely true, and he's here, John Cameron Mitchell. After the break. <laughs>
1: Friends, we are back
2: with John Cameron Mitchell. Hello, oh, hi. Welcome. I, is that you under the table? Yes. Yeah, no. Sorry, my Faye so is getting very here?
1: <laughs> yes, we have Faye in the uh, in the studio. If you, uh,
2: it's beautiful. It's not a yeah. microaggression. It's a, it's an aggression. It's a macro regression. <laughs> yeah. uh, how are we today? <laughs> <laughs> using the royal we. Yes. That actually is my preferred pronoun, actually. I we. figured. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really nice,
0: actually. It's the most inclusive pronoun that you can choose. Yeah. That I we have, can
2: choose? I have, there's a character in, in my podcast series, Anthem, that we'll probably be talking about who is based on someone I met who uh, transitioned uh, male to female and then was realized was a little young and, and was... Kind of doing it more for society than himself, herself. So let go of the uh, uh, hormones and kind of took a name that was, you know, I guess, you know, male or female. But uh, he likes we. And, you know, so he says that's his preferred pronoun. Because he also, in the piece, he takes the name America. Yeah. America's not a he, she, or they. It's hopefully a we.
0: Um, this is the part of the show we normally talk about what you've been, what, what your pop culture diet has been. And <laughs> mine has been your podcast. Um, I think I have two episodes left and it's, as I was saying in the intro, it kind of defies description, but mm-hmm. I would like for you to describe it anyhow.
2: That's why it wasn't made as a TV series, which right. we wrote it as because it defies description and marketing requires description and yeah. consp- comparison. Capitalism Requires Genre Mm -hmm.
0: uh,
2: which is you know right back with perhaps the binarchy you know requires male or female when we're all kind of in the middle. Um, It's something that uh, started out as a Hedvig sequel uh, but it was really I really wanted to get into stuff about my own life autobiographically and at first I was like maybe I could use that voice but it was too much you know that character has so much going on. So I removed uh headache like a tumor and the (laughs) character is more me if i'd never left my small town who has and the character has a brain tumor and he's out of insurance and is crowdfunding his cancer care with a new telethon app that i invented Mm -hmm. called Intelethon. i'm sure it'll happen any minute now i Kind of invented grinder too in the film Short Bus, but we, there was no iPhones then.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and the character's doing, he's hoping to go viral. He's hoping his tumor goes viral so he can survive. And meanwhile, he's got his whole life story to tell to his, you know, tiny audience at the beginning uh, about growing up in Kansas, Junction City, Kansas, where I did partially. Um, so the character's a, a version of me, uh, a lot of the characters are based on people that I know,
0: and um, I know you—you you, you removed the headwig of it all, but there are still Easter eggs to be found. It is—it is still kind of a spiritual sequel in a yeah. way. Right? Yeah,
2: you know, the character lives in a trailer, and there was some German, you know, wig-wearing prostitute singer uh, who used to live there that he never met. Uh, though another character comes knocking on the door looking for that mm-hmm. person and my character Kean Mackay's, you know barely heard of her so but it is it's that's part of my life too um, I'm just staring at Jennifer Anderson's
0: Oh, that, that actually that. is the Large work of one signature. Matt McConkie. That's
2: mine. Oh, you didn't write that. <laughs> I she did. Didn't, she didn't write that. She didn't yeah. write it. She, she doesn't, doesn't have no, hearts she, she doesn't, this yeah. table. There's no hearts over her eyes. No.
0: <laughs> no. But I I would like to think that's how she would sign it if she were here.
2: I'd never met her, but, you know, I in Short Bus, a character uh, it, it goes by Severin, and she's like a dominatrix, and she does some therapy with someone. They're like, what's your real name? She's like, I, I don't know." It's, it's. I can write it, I guess. And it's Jennifer. Oh, that's great. What's your last name? I don't want to talk about. it. And then she writes, it and it's Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> well, there's room for two. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Maybe it's year that was that character actually who is here in this room. Um, so what is in your pop culture diet yeah. these days? Oh yeah, what
2: was that? Was a question. Yeah. Um, right. Lately, you know, I've been watching some shows. Uh, I uh, just finished Ozark. Mm-hmm. which is, I think, kind of a better Breaking, ba- breaking Bad. But, you know, it's it feels like it, it's really well made with great actors. It feels a, a little bit like something we've seen before, you know, the normal family to- dragged into into crime. You know, uh, the, the Sopranos kind of began really well. Um, I've been watching – I like to watch foreign TV shows. My mom's British, so I like to really keep up with what's going on in, in Britain. Um Lately, I've been watching Killing Eve, which I kind of want to be a little bit
0: better. I know, right? Season I mean, one was so great. Yeah,
2: I mean, she's Julie Carmer's amazing. You know, Sandra O's awesome. Yeah. I worked with her, and um, but I don't know. It's it's a hard piece, you know. It's like there's so many different styles going on, and people are killed for jokes, and then you're supposed to care sometimes. So it's a little hard to. But I'll watch that. Um, someone told me I should watch Rami which is on Shrill, mm-hmm. uh, which is on Hulu. I'm on Shrill, which is on Hulu also. Right. And I'm actually here in L.A. Uh, pitching a, a, a new uh, series of my own. Uh, I'm developing another show with Hulu um, as well. So it's, you know, it's not the really the time of small films anymore. You know, it's not the 90s. It's not the early 2000s. And the Internet has kind of killed small film for a lot of people. Which is a shame, but I do a lot of other things: theater, podcast, fictional podcast. Now um, I'm going to Mexico on Monday to do a concert, so I'm doing ongoing slow motion tour of uh, a show called The Origin of Love, where I talk about the making of Hedvig and sing songs and oh, wow. do songs from from Anthem and from my last film, How to Talk to Girls at Parties. Uh, so it's like one. You know, sometimes a show a month or three shows a month. Is there going to be an L.A.
0: show anytime soon? Yeah, I
2: think it'll be next year. Um, I think it's for sale actually through UCLA at the Ace Theater maybe uh, in April. Mm -hmm. Somebody bought some tickets to that. Um, And, uh, you know, I've been in L.A. a lot this year. Uh, I tend to come here, try to get a job and run away. Uh, and and launder the money um cuz it's ill-gotten <laughs> gains sometimes and uh but you know I'm having a good time
0: i um i was thinking about this line you have in shrill that made me laugh. i'm going to butcher it but it's the um it's some version of uh, oh, this like badass, loud, feminist oh, thing. Yeah. I kind of invented it in the 90s. It's Some variation of yeah, that. Yeah, because would... I was
2: the original bass player in Bikini Kill, yeah, yeah, i yeah. say, which I didn't research. <laughs> the real bass player, um, I just sent a message to, so we're hoping she likes it. I'm going to see them in June. But I do feel like there are so many things that you could sort
0: of take credit for inventing. I mean, you talked about it a minute ago, but Rinder. I Hedvig was... I must have seen it ten times when I was in college. I never got to see you. Got to see everyone who came after you. Well, you saw it in New York. I I saw it in New York. I saw Ali Sheedy. I saw a lot of variations. And I wrote my whatever whatever the theater equivalent of a senior thesis was about the show. You did? I did. Wow. About that, I'm sure it was terrible. Um, I loved that. I forgot what the question even was. I guess, I guess the question is what, I mean, even... even um, what was your thesis? Maybe that's the question. I couldn't even tell Can't you. <laughs> I, don't I mean, I phoned it in. I, when I tell you I did the bare minimum in college in every way, I'm sure I did not do it justice as much as I did love the show. It was also the thing that then I would have friends come from, like, my small town in Ohio to visit, and I'd be like, you have to come see my favorite show, and they'd be like, what the... Is the, I mean, they loved it, of course. Right.
2: But. Ohio people forget how weird it can be.
0: Yeah.
2: Ohio is f- four states in one, right?
0: That's right. Yeah, I'm from the southern
2: state, oh, you're, of Ohio. which is the South.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But Cincinnati's great, and you Columbus know, is cool. Columbus is very cool. I mean, Cleveland has its great moments. Um, we, I, I worked on the election, presidential election there twice. You know. Mm. Which was depressing. Um, The first time was Bush when he was reelected because of Ohio. Yeah. Because of basically stoking a fear of gay marriage to win, which he probably doesn't care about, but used people's hatred as Republicans love to do. They sure do. Yeah. If they really hate a person, then they're being consistent. But Trump probably isn't Mm -hmm. homophobic, but he'll use that hatred. Sure. For sure.
0: <sighs> okay, well, I, was, I, I guess I just wanted to know what does it feel. I mean, because Hedvig, especially, like gender fluidity, was just not really in the cultural conversation. It was, it, it was, but not. It was, it was a new idea to many people when they saw your show.
2: Yeah, where was it, I mean, where was it new in York? culture, really? Where was it in culture? Yeah, at at the time. I don't know. I was in it all yeah. the time. I mean, I, I it was, uh, maybe it's just, it was me in New York, but it, you know, but I guess you're right. It, it wasn't, I mean, the, the things that inspired me, there was the film, I Am My Own Wife, which became a theater piece, uh, was kind of inspiring for the character who was an East German man who lived as a woman mm. in Berlin. Though my character was, didn't really choose it. So there's a strange, you know, it's not a trans statement because I wouldn't call someone who is mutilated to escape against his will, a trans, you know, fairy tale. Um, In fact, I think of it more as a kind of the character being a bit of a casualty of the binarchy, the patriarchy. You have to be this or this to get your passport. And he's like, he was a gay man and quite comfortable being a feminine gay man. And someone came in and said, no, you can't leave unless you become a woman, which, I mean, actually, even in Iran, you know, you get a state-sponsored gender reassignment, but you can't be gay. So you have a lot of gay people actually uh, changing their gender to survive not out of volition and finding themselves that's just that's maybe a bit more of a of a uh, you know analogy for what happened with Hedwig but then she, the new the true transformation happens after the assignment and the abandonment by her lover in Kansas watching the wall come down and then there's oh there's that wig and there's rock and roll and there's the makeup and that's drag that's yeah, self creation yeah, yeah. You know, that's, okay, I'm going to take what I'm given and I'm going to focus it through the, the mask of Hedvig or whatever your persona is, and that saves her. In the end, she tears it off again in a kind of orgy of, of uh, frustration and and then has an internal moment of, of forgiving herself and her lover and at the end walks into the world naked, Free of accoutrement, free of gender, perhaps, mm-hmm. saying, this is me. This is me. Love the front of me or, or leave me alone. And which is why a sequel wasn't really necessary, because in a way there was a, an arrival at I'm me. You know, perhaps Hedwig is now a, you know, non-binary adjunct professor in, hmm. at Oberlin. <laughs> Uh, teaching rock and roll and and German philosophy. That's probably the real sequel Um, to be left alone and to left to be yourself, not have to be in a tribe, not have to be, uh, you know, seeking a lover to complete you. And so a lot of that um, was, as we discovered these things about gender, about ourselves, I applaud the people who are courageously finding their own genders. Um, but society has its pressures. Your family does. You know, when you're a kid and you think, I, can, I have to, you know, a feminine boy, I, I must be a woman because TV tells me so. So actually you might be a wonderful, you know, feminine boy or masculine girl, or you might be your own version of trans to break up the concrete. You know, mm. that that's Hedvig maybe helped a little to break it up. And I feel really not being a trans person, I feel very gratified that trans people have said that it helped them on their journey. Yeah. You know, whatever that is. If I was 17 now, I probably would be non-binary and trans and they and, you know, like just who knows? I'm too old now, you know, <laughs> for labels.
0: <laughs> Disagree. <laughs> Um, but you're
2: perfect just the way you (laughs) are. Well, you know, when you're young, you need a, you need a tribe and a label and you need safety because you've come out of, you know, your parents' world and then you're like, no, I'm this. Yeah. Yeah. It's very important to decide what you are. No, not that, I'm this. And now this has changed Mm -hmm. because it's tomorrow and I have a new name and it's like, great, that's youth. You know, you need to find those things you need to find your people and then through that you find yourself and you relax and you don't, you forget what you are. Right. We all forget who our are, that are friends, sexuality is, we, you know, hanging around with them. Oh yeah, I forgot you're gay. Whatever. You know, it's like, that's what happens eventually. Right. We forget about these things that are really unimportant. Ultimately, it's what you do with the things you're given.
1: What, uh, uh, what broke up the concrete for you culturally? Like what, what was the, the stuff that you grew up watching that?
2: Well, I grew up in the seventies. So there was a lot of concrete breaking up and, you know, Coming out of the '60s, coming out of Nixon, Watergate, you know, Vietnam, skepticism was in the air. You individuality was was important. You know, anti-authoritarianism was the culture, and Hollywood had to kind of give in and, and let all these people do crazy, beautiful films that were didn't always have happy endings. That were often questioning. That were uh, going for what was real. You know, it was our neorealism phase uh, that started with, you know, Cassavetes and and Easy Rider and, and, uh, you know, Hal Ashby. These are all the people who were, no, this is, America isn't just these musicals and these dreams. It's gritty and real. So movie stars looked weird. Uh, David Bowie could be a star and still scare people, including me, and be on Saturday Night Live with, Klaus Nomi and Joey Arias and blow me away and prepare me for my next thing. Uh, so that, and he, of course, you know, enabled punk rock, which was also breaking up the concrete, um, which I didn't really, you know, wasn't really drawn to till I came out, really, interestingly, after I came out is when I got more punk. And uh, because at best, punk was breaking it up for a purpose of replacing it with good things, and all, punk also wanted to sort of self-destruct, you know, like sac- self-sacrifice in in my, you know, dead punk body. Let you know, <clears throat> let it be food for post-punk or whatever. You know, yeah. e- eat eat my flesh, so I you can <laughs> do whatever you want now. Um, so to me, my favorite things were always questioning, pushing, you know, Bowie loved Little Richard, but then he did his version. You know, I love Bowie, then I did my version, you know, by way of Lou Reed and Stephen Trask's love for John Lennon. So all of these, you know, these are our influences. These are our, you start out by imitating, and then you find your voice and someone might call it appropriation. I call it, you know, passing the torch, you Mm -hmm. know, paying it forward adding your voice to the long line of of artists and and shamans who uh who generously you know pave the way you know and and it's uh it's a beautiful thing to be able to make something you know in this country something unusual which can't always happen elsewhere uh but when you do something different, you have to remember that it's not remunerative, and you have to do your your uh, day job, too.
0: What was your day job? Did you ever have
2: one? I did voiceovers for commercials, uh. actually, in the 90s. I was uh, the voice of the Dunkaroos. Uh, Shut as- wow. up. Kangaroo. Wow. <laughs> do you remember I- any lines? How do you do your Dunkaroos? <sighs> So, Because there was a variety of ways to do those Dunkaroos. Yes, there was. different. it was different. the first interactive cookie, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you dunk it in,
1: in the chocolate, you dunk it in the vanilla, mm-hmm. you can do both.
0: Wow.
2: Yeah. This I was is at M&M for a while.
0: Taking me back. And I'm realizing your voice was with me longer than I thought it was.
2: Yeah, some people are more impressed by that than <laughs> anything I've ever done. Which M&M? I was red. Okay which he's a fiery little number. He was fiery. He was embarrassed. I don't know what he was, <laughs> but
0: as day jobs go, that's a pretty good yeah.
2: gig. No, I was you, very lucky.
0: You started acting professionally pretty young. Am I right? I mean, you were acting on Broadway and stuff before pre Hedwig.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was acting in college at Northwestern, uh, you know, in Chicago doing, uh, movies and plays and TV. And, uh, and then came to New York as an understudy in the musical Big River on Broadway. And it was pretty rough then, you know, 85 was, the city was still very rough. And I got an action movie uh, that Michael Mann produced and went to L.A. Um, and it was funny because I was like, you know, I came up in in the era of AIDS and, and uh, you know, mortality and, sexuality and uh, pol- politics were all connected right away. And I was, you know, luckily very safe because I came out into it. And people a couple of years older were sick. And uh, so it felt kind of selfish to be in the closet at, at that time. But, it, you know, when I went to L.A., it was like, well, you're going to have to be in the closet for your career. And it just felt weird. And for a minute I was like, well, I guess I have to do that. But very quickly uh, realized that I wasn't going to do that. Um so I I I
0: didn't You you realize you didn't want to do that or just that No, I mean necessary? everybody
2: have you ever hung out with closet cases? Yeah. <laughs> really boring. <laughs> uh and scared. Uh no, it was just it was uh yeah, I was just very open. And if I don't know if I didn't get any jobs because of that, but I would have wanted to do the job with a person who wouldn't hire me because I was gay I mean mm. I to move. though interestingly there was uh in my last year in l a uh in the eighties uh Bob Shea, who ran newland cinema uh was directing a film called Book of Love and I went in and I hadn't looked at the script and it was the character was quite homophobically written uh just old fashioned you know hoary sort of tr- you know trope stereotypes and i and bob's like what do you think of the script and i was like oh, you know i have to say this character is really homophobic and i i don't think i can do it you know as is and he's like didn't had really been ever anyone told him that i guess and he's like well why and i explained well there's a pedophile joke and then is the, you know it's like every it's even too many stereotypes mm-hmm. um uh, stupid ones and negative ones, and he's like, "Oh well, how would you do it if it wasn't gay?" Or and he was like, "Well, all the l- lines are about that," and you know, I said, "It's just not for me," I, I think. And then he did rewrite it, and I I did it. It became a, a straight guy because it was still the '80s, so they couldn't handle you know, in a teen a teen movie, a, a queer character. But then, t- ten or fifteen years later. Um, or ten years later, Bob came to see me in and Hedvig, and with, with tears in his eyes, and he said, uh, "We're gonna. We I want to make this movie with you, you know." And he supported me directing it. I had never directed, and he let me make uh, have final cut. And it was like, and I really think it was because he, I spoke to him honestly about, uh, and didn't just cow tow. You know uh, ab- about the, the script that other script. Yeah, you know he appreciated that. So, there's a way of saying no respectfully and, and engagingly. You know, to someone might not have thought through it. That, you know, pe- just, people don't have to be canceled. You know, perhaps they can be brought. <laughs> you know, talked, communicated with, and it can lead to good things. Yeah. So directly, you know, Bob Shea was was my uh, was my great patron.
0: So what was the path to Anthem after you realized it wasn't going to work as a TV show?
2: Yeah, well, we came here, we we pitched to all of the, the, the usual suspects and uh, got a lot of resting pitch face. Mm-hmm. which is very uh, respectful eyes open mm-hmm. possibly <laughs> possibly a closed mouth yawn mm-hmm. or <laughs> mm-hmm, which makes you seem more interested
0: yeah mm-hmm.
2: um, and some of them liked it others were just you know imagining their bosses just like what the hell is this yeah. you know because it was it was too many things and people in America like things to be one thing at a time uh, again to sell it um, and I understand that. Uh, so I wasn't surprised, but there was another company called Topic Studios in New York that did Missing Richard Simmons and they worked on films like Leave No Trace and Spotlight and they were just in. So as usual, LA said no, New York said yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so we made maybe the most expensive podcast too, uh, cause we had 40 actors, 40 pieces of music, uh, Glenn Close, Patty Lapone, Marion Cotillard, Dennis O'Hare, you know, Justin Vivian Bond. Uh, it, it was an incredible cat. They they got scale, you know, uh-huh. podcast scale, which we invented because <laughs> uh, it didn't exist, and uh, we're thrilled because they, you know, didn't have to shave, right? <laughs> come in and with their slippers and, and dogs like you have here, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it was fun, and they we could fix things. You know, I could fix things at home and my mic, and they could speak into their iPhone and email me lines from London. And it was just fun for everyone, and everyone got to sing songs like they haven't really done before. You know, Glenn Close sings a punk song, and Patty sings this great jazz song, and uh, I'm, you know, P- Patty's my aunt and Glenn's my mom. What more do you want? Come on. It does
0: not get any better than that. (laughs) Uh, We should take a quick break, and we'll be right back. This episode of Homophilia is brought to you by Original Grain. Original Grain is the premier maker of wood and steel watches with an unwavering commitment to authenticity, innovation, and next level craftsmanship. Original Grain has some of the most unique watches you have ever seen. They've got the Whiskey Collection, which is the only watch handcrafted with genuine reclaimed bourbon barrels. And they have a New York Yankees watch made with reclaimed wood from 1923 Yankee Stadium wooden seats all starting at just $169 with free shipping worldwide and easy returns. As we speak, not to brag, I am wearing a watch called the Alpha Bomber. Dave Holmes is wearing a watch called the Brewmaster Chrono. Uh, these look so good and they really don't look like all the other watches that all the other jokers are running on we- around, you know, wearing. And, uh, I'll be giving this to everybody for Father's Day. Not my dad, of course. I don't talk to him, but I'll be giving it to, uh, my birth mom's husband. I'll be giving it to my boyfriend. I'll be giving it to my zaddy. You know what I mean? <laughs> and now. As a special limited time deal for our listeners, you can get 25% off your order at originalgrain.com when you use the code HOMO at checkout. Some exclusions apply, so see website for details, and that is originalgrain.com. Be sure to use the code HOMO at checkout for 25% off your order.
1: Well, my friends, summer is nearly here. Can you believe it? So why not start it right with Stitcher Premium? Stitcher Premium. They have an incredible Memorial Day deal going on. You don't want to miss it. You get 35% off of your first payment for a limited time when you go to stitcherpremium.com slash Memorial Day and use the promo code SUMMER. Here's why you want to do that. It will give you an entire year of Stitcher Premium for less than 23 bucks. Great premium exclusive content like Big Grande's Teacher's Lounge. The AV Club says it mines pure gold from education's underbelly and between us, it features Drew Tarver, who's adorable. Or you can take advantage of literally hundreds of hours of ad-free true crime shows like Dr. Death, and Dirty John, With Stitcher Premium, you also get thousands of hours of original content, like the new seasons of Marvel's Wolverine, and with special guest Lauren Lapkus. You get early access to new releases, you get bonus episodes of your favorite podcasts, ad-free archives, hundreds of stand-up comedy specials and albums. Just go to StitcherPremium.com slash Memorial Day. Use promo code SUMMER for 35% off your first payment. Do it! And we're back. John, and refreshed. Break? I was
2: great. It was, it was, uh, they don't know how long that break <laughs> was to them. It's, it's theater the of the mind. It, it takes be as, long to as long as want We could to have recorded this before the first part. Yeah. <laughs> They'll never know. They won't.
0: They won't know what we've been through together during <laughs> that a break. History. <laughs> um history. John, this is normally the part of the show where we ask you, Personal questions about your relationship status and history?
1: Um, <laughs> the door is locked. I think you'll find escape is quite impossible.
0: What? What is your current. Why is that a one way man He's looking to um. his publicist, like, what the, what the fuck is happening?
2: Um, yeah, you're supposed to save me now. I'm supposed to smash through that window. <laughs> Stop this. What's your, what's going on? What's your current dating situation, relationship situation? I mean, I'm dating somebody just at the very beginning. Okay. Right? Mm.
0: How beginning are we talking?
2: Like, just like a few dates
0: and
2: Okay. Yeah, and somebody I like.
0: Going well. hmm Can we ask how you met?
2: We met on Grindr, mm-hmm. which I invented. Which you invented. <laughs> so you're um, an expert at it. Ours was called Yenta, which... Which was a lot <laughs> sweeter than grinder with no e yeah never it was I don't understand the sketchy uh, imagery um, <laughs> It should be fun uh, and yeah, he's a painter and he's cool
0: I I say this with no judgment because I am a proud former grinder user before I was in a relationship and yet I feel I'm surprised only that I feel like you're above grinder. I feel that it's beneath you.
2: I but I'm wrong. I invented it. <laughs> I can do I what I want with it. <laughs> I cannot take any money from it, which I voluntarily did. No. Um No, I mean I think any it's like however I I don't I don't go to bars. You mm-hmm. know, I, I have a, a monthly party in um At Julius Bar, which is the oldest gay bar in New York. It's my favorite party in the world. Yeah, you've been to that. Yes, I have. Yeah, Mattachine. We do it once a month for 11 years. Mm. And uh, we DJ around the world too. We're going to do it in Mexico City next week. Uh, And um, what was the question? Oh, Above Grinder. Well, I mean, Grinder, I've met some nice people. I haven't met a boyfriend but, you know, it, it, it requires, people are just, I'm very old school, so I'm like, oh, yeah, let's just meet up. What, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But people are very afraid of, of real events now, <laughs> real meetings, and uh, a lot of young people are having less sex. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's we're imitating Japan, which, you know, is ahead of us technologically, but part of that is it's stopping a lot of young people from actually dating or having sex. You know, there's kind of a quick wank off or whatever. And then you go buy cute things and hang out with your friends. Apparently, mm-hmm. hey, I'm afraid we're going in that direction yeah. for young people because just the fact of looking at somebody in the eye and being in the same room is very messy. Anything can happen. Yeah. You know, if you just imagine it, 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 it is maybe easier. Um, and it also requires, you know, some people get very flaky and it's like constant, you know, so much correspondence. I le- I feel like I need a grinder intern <laughs> to cover my correspondence uh, just to – because people are just babbling. But you can tell a lot from a, f- a couple of texts about someone. You can tell when they're an asshole. You can tell when uh, they're a, in some addictive mode. You can tell – you know, if you make a joke and someone responds, you can – you know, there's a lot – that's important for you know a litmus test for me is um, is kindness and, and and jokes and then you might meet and I've met nice people uh, some people have even been collaborators wow you know who I've met on there how often does someone I think there can be a better one you know there should sure, be a better yeah. app by now yeah. someone told me to get on an on Raya yeah which which was a hookup or dating app for well-known people. And I'm like, well, how the hell do they, I, I'm not in, I don't like elitism. I don't like separatism. I think a mixed party is best.
0: Sure.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, so how do they decide? Well, you two people have to nominate you. So it's like the Academy. <laughs> um, And you they tell, you're famous by the number of Instagram followers you have. And I'm like, what if the well-known person that I might be into would not do that? Mm. It's like, what is it like 60% of people who do makeup? Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, tell you <laughs> what to do with your ass. Yeah. You know, yeah. isn't that half the people that are famous on, yeah, on sure. Instagram? Yeah, for so sure. Instagram, is people that flex one their dating pool?
1: And show you the sandwich they're eating and, you know. And, and like with their friends thing. around a couch. Right. With the dog. or Yeah. That. Yeah. Millions, the, Millions of
0: it. Yeah. There's a lot of pe- There's a certain breed. It is g- generally speaking of, you know, gay men that are both, that are equally like aspirational and repulsive in terms of just the generic, the, the, you know, the mm-hmm. Ken doll bo- yes. body. And
2: there's more of that in that LA. Is,
0: and there's a lot more of that in LA. Um, have you have you ever dipped into that dating pool
2: what Tor- those, headless those? torsos yeah. yeah yeah, those types no <laughs> no no, I don't like to be told what kind of gay I'm supposed to be that that defeats the purpose of being queer. Thank you is being told that you have to like this music or this body or this whatever, and uh yeah, most people are. Most people are good. Most people want goodness, but most people are shallow, meaning they don't want to think for themselves. They don't want to explore for themselves. And it used to be that you had to because you were queer because there was no other option. You weren't allowed in. Um, Yes, there was always bars and there were, like, gay icons and and singers and stuff that you could rally around, but it tended to be more – those people tended – in the past to be powerful outsiders who survived, you know, so often they were women for gay men mm-hmm. and gay women, you know, there was, there was, you know, May West. And then it was Marlena Dietrich. And then it was Judy Garland and Barbara Streisand. And they were all a little weird, you know, and and, Bar- and Liza Minnelli, they're all about to fall apart except maybe May West and they all were very they were striving they were they were pushing against stuff and that 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 kind of gay culture stuff i loved you know and the tradition of camp and of drag and of course you can be have very lazy stupid drag and you can have very interesting stuff so those are the things that i did love about being queer is is understanding satire and metaphor and camp and but in order to call out the bullshit of the mainstream, when, you know, and I appreciate Madonna's political work, but, you know, she was kind of, it felt, you know, so selfish and kind of, she didn't write her own songs and she was imitating those people I was just talking about, Mae West, Marlene because she wasn't any of those things. And, that, and then when gay icons became like Britney Spears, who just sort of smelled of, of kind of someone was like a marionette, you know, yeah. it was just like a puppet figure. Which for um, some
0: people that is the appeal is the marionette quality.
2: It didn't uh, used to be for queer people. Right. It used to be the ones that were like, fuck you, I'm going to survive. I will survive. And it was the big gay icon song in the seventies and Sylvester. Right. You know, Tell me that you want me. And, you know, and it was, they, it, it, you had to do it. There was no other choice. Mm. There was no choice. Um, and maybe a marionette has no choice, but also has no agency. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so that to me is a weird, is a weird queer icon. Someone who's just a puppet.
1: When know? someone arrives packaged as a gay icon, I always
2: yeah, because someone is mm-hmm. yeah, someone is doing putting the horse the, the horse before the cart. You can't yeah. say this is a cult film. It has to. Be bottom up; it has to be grassroots to right. decide that. Right, you can't, you know, uh, market yourself as a cult figure. Um, I don't think, personally. Um, and you know, Hedvig was one of those characters in the tradition of Marlena Dietrich and and Bowie and and Nico, and she sings about them. You know, Yoko and and Tina Turner and Patti Smith. These are my queer icons you know and they they are there's some male ones now too but and it may be quite talented but it just seems to be imitating the the monoculture which mm-hmm. to me means you know if if the price of fewer queer suicides is more queer republicans well that's what's going to happen
1: okay. matachine is a place where i there there's uh, Ducky in London There's Daytime Realness In San Francisco And there's Mattachine In New York Where When I walk through the doors I feel like This is what I've been Waiting for Forever You know There's some Blow Monkeys B-side playing <laughs> You know there's It's like Fully diverse It yeah. really It's it, the, the last time I was there And I haven't, I haven't been In a couple of years The last time I was there I was like I can't imagine this Being more perfect For me And I swear to God The music stopped Parker Posey got on the bar and delivered a monologue. monologue. <laughs> it was like I couldn't I couldn't hold my skull together. <laughs>
2: yeah, we've had some of those beautiful moments like uh, Basil Twist doing a you know, a marinette, yeah. you know, in midair on the bar and everyone holding up their phones to light it. And it's old New York. It's old school New York that we grew up with in, you know, the eighties and nineties. It was the pyramid in the eighties with it was a night called Whispers with Happy Face and Taboo and Ethel Eichelberger, who was inspirational for me, a performance person. and And then in the nineties, there was a place called Squeeze Box that was, you know, where Hedvig was born, which was the rock and roll punk drag bar where I learned from Mistress Fromica and uh, Anthony and and Gene uh, County and Justin Bond. You know what it was to be an icon of drag. And um, I, I learned at their feet, you know, at their heels. And uh, when Mistress wig fell off during a punk song, she, she ripped all of her drag off too, because you can't be there without a, you can't be in drag without a wig. And, and that found its way into Hedwig uh, too. So to me, you know, honor your elders. And uh, remember that queer used to mean Ex- examining, you know, going places you haven't been, not just be doing what you're told. Mm-hmm. And that means musically as well. And, you know, S- Stonewall is 50 is coming up and uh, that apparently had the best jukebox in the world. You know, it was all kinds of music and it's not just EDM, you know, right. our queer history. Uh, do you have plans to be at the uh, the March for the 50th? Yeah, I mean, I'm doing three of my shows the origin of love shows at at uh, town hall that week and on this final sunday i'm performing on a, a stage that's kind of more radical fairy based um but yeah i mean I, the whole city will be a giant you know they're estimating a million people coming in for it um for 50th pride and you know again Pride parades were very important for me when I was young. After a while I'm like, oh, I can't deal with a bunch of fags in the same space. Um and then now that we have some shit to fight about again, you know, um I'm very excited about 50th of the Pride.
0: Um if you're in New York, hopefully we'll see
2: you there. Yeah. I mean the Do queer this. punk thing I really learned about here. It was a guy named Billy Limbo, and I was sort of his helper in the eighties. And he had a lot of underground clubs. Ground Zero, nineteen seventy, was a club he had at a place called the Probe. It was the first seventies club in the eighties, oh. which was radical. What was, does that mean? In Eighty-eight. I mean, he would play strictly R- Ramones music. and gotcha. Partridge Family and sure. Donna Summer, and and it, he taught. He was my DJ mother too. It's like it. All music is dance music. Mm. All music is dance music. Um, and, and then Vaginal Davis was a, a legendary uh, drag queen, punk rock. She, you know, She was from the Valley, seven foot tall, black punk rock drag queen with the sweetest voice and had a band called Black Fag, which I loved. <laughs> <laughs> and had a, a punk rock party at the garage in Silver Lake. And she's in Berlin now being appreciated. Um Glenn Meadmore. It, you know, there was always an underground in LA that was in opposition to the the Hollywood thing, and which made the underground much more extreme, right? even than San Francisco or New York. There was it was you know, it's like the punk out of here was like harder, you know. Mm. Uh and uh, you know, hardcore was kind of invented here, you know, and in Orange County. Uh, so the same thing happened with drag culture. You know, even Tranny Shack, which is now called Mother in um, in San Francisco, which is interesting because the word tranny never was a negative term. Uh, you know, among, it wasn't like the N-word or the F-word where people would throw it at you. It was acute, a you know, in the tribe term. Within the community. Within the community it was, term. Yeah. It was never appropriated by people who wanted to, you know, Insult you. Right. But, you know, recently, you know, language is very uh, examined and, and, you know, some people who are trans found found the word too casual or or offensive. So, you know, Tranny Shack, uh, a a venerable uh, drag performance night in San Francisco uh, had to change his name to Mother. Mm -hmm. But the LA version was always really hardcore, you Mm -hmm. know, and it made people cutting themselves and it was just like... It's like LA, you know. Always <laughs> cooler than you yeah, think we yeah, are. Cooler or or uh, trapped.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where do
1: you Where do you go now? Where do you find?
2: I that mean, I'm older now? and I, I don't really go out as much. But and and I, to be honest, I'm not very excited by what's you know what is happening in New York. I think the internet has kind of stopped a certain kind of innovation in terms of people getting together. Though there's always people who want to and who do, uh, but sometimes it's it's kind of just repeating something instead of pushing it forward. Mm. Um, there's still some great bars in in New York, Metropolitan and, and Rosemont and stuff. But I I tend to just do my own parties, and you know I prefer more you know a smaller gathering.
0: Mm.
2: I was looking for ideas. <laughs> it's okay. I don't know it. what's going on here.
1: That's the thing. I'm not really sure. I mean, there's Bears in Space, Uh kind of. There's the Eagle.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's been there. There's all Lisa
0: Vanderpump's establishments. I'm sure you frequent those in West Hollywood. What is that? Yeah. I'm so happy that you don't know. What does that that mean? You should stay that way.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there'll always be a mainstream, of course. For gay guys, especially. And, you know, that's fine. Whatever. But, and- I used to think queer meant the person was interesting, but that's, you know, as you get older, you realize that's not true. (laughs) 0.01% of whatever sexuality or gender are the ones you really want to hang out with. Sure. Which doesn't mean anyone's bad. It's just the the ones who are pushing it and and curious and and kind uh, is just always going to be a minority. And, uh, you know, to me... uh, there's room for for dullness now too i mean the main thing we all want is respect and safety you know safety to be boring right it's a luxury yeah in some places you can't um and i still have hope for america you know we're still a country without a memory uh and a a short history which means you know and the internet kind of scrambles memory as well, uh, which means there's, we, we can repeat things uh, like fascism. So we have to be careful, but because we have no memory, we also, the future is bright, you know, other places they're weighed down by their history and their wars and their, you know, hist- they're just, everything's been done. And in America, there's still a sense of feeling of, you know, we can improve we, you know, that we have ingenuity, you know, for all of our mistakes as Americans, we still brought up ideas of human rights, you know, queer rights, female, you know, women's rights. you know, before other people or popularized them, you know, even if they were in existence. So people lo- still look to America for, uh, the possibility of improvement, um, now there's an understanding that Trump is different from America, and hopefully it's it's true.
0: I am curious to your take on P. Putajec.
2: I don't know much about him. A friend of mine is a- advising him, hmm. uh, so I'm. I'd like to know. I'm going to ask him more about him. I mean, he's he's cool. He seems cool. Um, I'm an army brat, so I actually, despite its misogynist you know, weirdness. The military is a socialist state for conservatives that people sh- would, you know, you do your job, you get health care. You, yeah. you, yeah. you, yeah. you know, you're, it doesn't matter what race you are or where you come from. You can even be a non-citizen and get citizenship by enlisting. It's a great social program, you know, and uh, he comes from that too and he understands that and he understands that being a mayor of a Midwestern city that there's all kinds of people and most people want what's best for everybody. And I, I appreciate that. You know, I can also appreciate AOC and, uh, and Bernie for their very forward ideas that make a great deal of sense. But I also, I like Pete's, um, yeah, you know, easygoing guy. We're all, let's just sit down and talk about it and figure out uh, what makes sense you know he's a centrist guy I think I am too I'm a socialist centrist I guess um, and I really do believe that communicating directly can can reduce you know reduce this polarization the polarization happened because a bunch of people with money decided they needed to create a, a, a bunch of boxes to be ticked to be liberal or conservative and if you didn't you were apostate and you were and again it's capitalism you know i am liberal so i have to believe these things i am conservative my mom was conservative and catholic and was against abortion what does that have to do with global warming right (laughs) what does that have to do with taxes in the military you know that w- was a perfect example of taxes going towards a, a useful service mm-hmm. and help actually helping people in the in that service. Uh, do we cut those because it's poor people who aren't in the military? You know, it, somehow rich people got those Christians to to uh, say what they wanted, which is rich people should have more money. Because if global warming is real, then they would have to cut their emissions and you know mm-hmm. it 's all money and with liberal people it 's not necessarily money, but it is also about purity and if you don 't fit the boxes of of liberal purity, you know' it'd be lucky if we find anyone amongst these candidates that is pure enough you know when you can 't do anything about trump you you school your your allies. Mm-hmm. You purify them and you call them out, and and uh, there's a difference between engagement and and, and learning and uh, canceling and and uh, you know lashing out uh, because of your own insecurity. You know, a lot of times it's people who feel like they have no voice, so therefore, if I scream, I'll be heard, and if I say something reasonable, I won't. So the scream is like, you're a fucking racist, you're a homophobe, you're out. Yeah. As opposed to the complexity of that person being, you know, if you believe in prison reform or rehabilitation, you can't cancel people. Mm. You know? That those are two two diametrically opposed liberal things. Right. You know, and I th- I think most people do that they're realize there needs to be prison reform. And if that's the case, people can be rehabilitated. Why not, you know, this the the chauvinist, you know, who's in your office just has to be talked maybe just talked to instead of eliminated.
0: I'd like for you to enter the race. It's not too late. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Get in there. My dad would have my dad was a really beloved figure. He was a general and he could have been he was the most popular military commander in Berlin and they wanted him to to stay, and he, he could have been a, a great politician, but he was too pure. He, he couldn't compromise either. I mean, you know, he's not a deal guy, you know.
0: Um, well, I'm speechless, and <laughs> I, uh, yeah, this is one for the books. It truly. But, thank you so much for being yeah, here. You're welcome. Not thank you enough. So excited to hear the last two episodes of Anthem. Anthem Homunculus comes out when?
2: Well, it is out. It's out. It's on the Luminary podcast app. Okay. Which is, you know, app grabbable on any app store. Um, You can't, they have a lot of stuff on there. Um, They're experimenting with making podcasts a subscription-based thing so that the podcast can be a bit more challenging, you know, with maybe some bigger budgets and doing some more crazy stuff. There's also, you know, Conan O'Brien, Lena Dunham, Russell Brand and, you know, uh, Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay doing their own things, which are often interview based or historically based. And the guy who did Slow Burn is doing another, you know, big documentary about history. Um, So they're they're good people. And you can do in a, a, a free month. To check out their stuff, uh, for you know, or you subs- could subscribe, which is seven ninety nine a month for a lot of stuff. You know, forty they're going to have forty uh, podcasts, but you know, in the future we will all have a podcast for fifteen minutes. <laughs> it's absolutely true. So it might even be a way of of paying your bills and making one.
0: Yeah, imagine which is that. That's unheard of. And that's
2: what that's what Luminary wants to do. It happens.
0: Mm-hmm and it it's an anthology so it it will come back but there'll be other two is-
2: other writers other people making it um the other seasons and you know we're wi- going wide open to you know people who might want to make their their musical you know it's we we've, we've got the financing ready and it's a very fun way of making a story mm-hmm. that can still be in other forms later you know films tv theater um In our case, uh, I I wrote it first as a theater piece, then as a television piece. So, podcast was kind of a consolation, but I'm glad that it happened this way because I really, no interference, you know, could do it the way I wanted, really do something unusual. It felt like the Hedvig experience. Hedvig was a flop in the theaters, people found it later. You know, I have a feeling this will be a long term you know, roll out as people get used to to listening to stories. Thank you so, so much for doing this. You're welcome. Truly.
0: Thanks. Thumbs up. Thumbs up from Sam. And you know what? Thumbs up for John Cameron Mitchell. I felt...
1: In the best possible way that I was at a, a a wonderful college lecture.
0: Exactly. That's what I was saying to you that I kept forgetting. Oh, yeah, we have to ask yeah. questions. I just yeah. wanted to take to, to bask in yeah. all things. John. Savor it. Yeah. As though it were in a snifter. I want he, he it. Is, he is definitely one of the sort of bucket list guests from mm-hmm. early days that I was like, if we can get him, then mm-hmm. look, there if I die this weekend, fine with it. Don't, though. I won't. No, Try I want to. I want to stay alive at least for another weekend to see this come out. Mm-hmm. You must.
1: You. So must. Well, we're going to interview
0: Nina West at. Uh, yeah. At, uh, stay alive, cons. So stay, stay alive in general.
1: That. Also, you got to come over and see uh, Jackson Brittany. Oh my God, that's
0: what I have to live for. Yeah. Your new neighbors.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Get that weekly check in. <sighs> All right, folks. That is it for us. Um, thank you, Dana. Thank you. Thank you, Sam. Thank
0: you, Ryan. Thank you, Hannah, our incredible booker. Oh, Hannah, Hannah, Hannah. It's you know, there's a show on NBA. Amazon about Hannah. It's called Hannah. Uh huh. This is a it's different <laughs> one, but um, <laughs> just as powerful. Thank you, Ben Wise, for the music. Yes, yes. Thank, thank you, you Jackson listening. Brittany. <laughs> we'll see you soon. This episode of Homophilia is brought to you by Original Grain. Original Grain is the premier maker of wood and steel watches, and they have an unwavering commitment to authenticity and next-level craftsmanship. And this is, by the way, the perfect gift and the most unique gift you can give this Father's Day. And now, as a special limited-time deal for our listeners, you can get 25% off your order at OriginalGrain.com when you use the code HOMO at checkout. Some exclusions apply. See website for details.